If you have your Bible, would you open it up to James chapter 3, please? We are in a series now, and this may be the fifth week or so, that we've in a series, it's just a chapter-by-chapter look at the book of James. Uh, And we've titled this Faith Works. And James is very, very concerned that the faith that we profess works out in our life. He's just just really fired up about it. And he says, I know we're saved by faith. I know what the gospel says. But friends, if we believe the gospel, this is what gospel-believing people do. This is how gospel-believing people think. And this morning in chapter 3 is this is how gospel-believing people talk. You've got, you've got the Apostle Paul who says we're saved by grace through faith and there's nothing we can do. We can't climb a ladder. We can't be good enough and all of that. And you've got James that says, yes, that's absolutely right. But if you've got that faith, if you've truly exercised saving faith, there is no way it cannot show up into your life. And I'm wondering, total speculation on my part, but I'm wondering if some people didn't take the Apostle Paul's teaching on say we're saved by the cross of Christ, there's no good thing we do. If some of them didn't take it as a license to live your life any old way you wanted to live it as long as you have faith. And as James coming along, James, the half-brother of Jesus, coming along and says, some people have misinterpreted what the Apostle Paul said, have taken it to a, to a, a place that it shouldn't have gone, and now he writes to correct that error. I don't No, not an error in the teaching, but an error in the how it was lived out. James assumes the gospel. He doesn't explain the gospel as Paul dissects the gospel. He doesn't do any of that. He assumes the gospel and says this is how gospel-believing people live. And we come to James chapter 3. And let's see what he says about how gospel-believing people should work out that faith in our lives not many of you should presume to be teachers my brothers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly now doesn't that just make you want to go out and teach a Sunday school class lead a small group back to back to verse one there Eric let's let's plant there for a second James understand is getting ready to explain to us the power of the tongue And he says, those of you who teach, and this is in the context of teaching God's Word, those of you who teach, you've got to understand the power of your tongue here. You've got to understand the power that your words have. And because your words have such a power on people, because your words can direct people in the ways that they should go, or if they're wrongly preached, could direct them in another way, because your words have such power and such influence, there's not, you've never, you better be 100% sure that God has called you to do this. Because those who teach and preach and talk for a living are going to be judged more strictly. So you've got to be a nut to get up here and do this unless you know you're called. Unless you absolutely know that you're called. It's like, you can't do anything else. You got to do it. You got to work it out in your life some way. And, and James now goes on to say, Those of you who are teachers, be sure you know the power that your tongue has. And some of you know that. Some of you can talk about teachers that you have set under, preachers that you have set under, that poor interpretation of the word, 
spouted off their own opinion. I listened to one on, on the... Uh, j- just to prep me and remind me, I pulled out some old t- cassette tapes that I have and just listened to one guy, and it was nothing but his own opinion. And, and I don't tell you my own opinion. My own opinion is worthless. It's worthless. I try so hard to be able to teach God's Word to you, and His Word is powerful. And because I have power in what I do right here, James says, you better be careful with that power, you teacher. And I'm going to hold you to a stricter account because you can lead people astray if you don't rightly divide the Word of God as well as you can lead them in the ways of eternal life. So he's not saying, you know, don't teach anything. He just said, are you called? And by the way, for your information, information for yourself, information for you to share with your family, anyone who's called, everyone who's called to ministry is not called to preach. Those are two different things. You can be called to minister and and not be able to have the gifts and graces to be able to rightly divide God's word. And like someone can be called to preach and not have the gifts and graces to do a lot of other things that need to go on around the church. That's why the body comes together, and that's why staff has different gifts and graces. The only one that should take this position is one who has a call to preach, and one has a call to teach, because it's a very difficult position to take. Right there. Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. Perfect is complete. Perfect is is, um, accomplishing the purpose that it was to accomplish. That's what the word perfect, not not our Western understanding of perfect. It's complete. It's mature. It's accomplishing the purpose. This this wedding band can be perfect even though it has a nicks and scrapes on it because it fits my finger well it 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 shows the world that i'm married and i love sue it's perfect ring even though you look at it really close and it was my grandfather's ring and you can tell it looks a hundred years old but that doesn't mean it's not perfect in a biblical sense if anyone uh doesn't stumble in what he says he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check and so he's talking about the power of words Verse 3, when we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal. Now, James is a good preacher. He gives some illustrations. And you you got this big 2,000-pound animal here. And I'm from Kentucky, and I've I've been to horse tracks a lot, and I'm just amazed at the power, the the absolute power of that animal on this little, and a little 115-pound person sits on top of them, and a little bit stays in their mouth. And if he pulls a bit this way, his head goes that way. If he pulls a bit this way, his head goes that way. He directs the horse. And, and, and James is saying, just like your tongue is a little three-ounce piece of flesh that sometimes is not even seen, it, it's just like a little bit it directs, which directs the horse, the tongue can direct our whole life. That's the power of the tongue. And I ignore that power I ignore that power. I ignore that power to my detriment. 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lot of bull. That is not a biblical statement. That's what our well-meaning parents told us to get over what happened on the playground or whatever. It is not a biblical statement. Words wound. And a more biblical statement would be something like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do even more because they can go to my very soul. James is trying to tell us that there's power in words. And I've never, I've never, I've never had a marriage in front of me in my office, a family in front of me in my office with difficulty that the words they spoke to each other was not a player in that difficulty, was not a player in that difficulty some way. I'm constantly amazed when I find out how families talk to one another. And James says, don't under... Oh, I didn't mean it. <clears throat> Not good. Not good enough. But besides, you did mean it. Or you wouldn't have said it. You might not have liked the way it came out. You might have not liked the way it sounded, but you did mean it the moment you said it. Power of the tongue. What do we have here? Verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Here's another illustration your preacher gives you. Although they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. So this big old huge ship is, is steered by this rudder, small little rudder, just like your tongue. It's a small part of your body. And it directs us. The power of the tongue, James is trying to beat in my head here. And I avoid that. I ignore that to my detriment. I ignore the words I say to my wife and how I say them to the detriment of my marriage. I ignore the words I say to my boys and how I say them, when I say them, to the detriment of my relationship with the boys. And that doesn't mean I always do it right because whoever does it right is a perfect man. He never stumbles in any way. But we've got to be cognizant. We've got to accept. And James is saying, you can't miss this. And I believe with all my heart this is addressed to teachers. But there's an easy application for every single one of us, whether we're a teacher or not, and really all of us are teachers in some way, whether we're kids or grandkids or somewhere. The power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue holds the power of life and death. The tongue holds the power of life and death. And you can remember, you can remember some life-giving words some adult said to you when you were a kid. You may be 50, 60, 70, or 80 years old, and you can still remember some life-giving words an adult said to you. Or you can remember the opposite. It may have been a teacher. It may have been a coach. It may have been a mom. It may have been a dad. It may have been a grandma. I don't know. 
But you know the truth of Proverbs 18, 21. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I've given you this example before, and, and, and I, it's the best one I have, and I'll give it to you again. My third grade teacher was Mrs. Kratzer. She just sounds mean, doesn't she, Mrs. Kratzer? She was my dad's third grade teacher, so that tells you a little bit how old she was. And I remember one day we were working on our cursive T's. I don't even think they teach kids how to write cursive anymore. Our cursive T's. And I took my cursive T's up to Mrs. Kratzer. I don't know why I did that. She may have called me up. I may have been proud of him. I don't know. I took him up to Mrs. Kratzer. And she was sitting at her desk. He was old, okay? So she didn't, she taught from her desk a lot, okay? And she was sitting at her desk, and I showed her my paper, probably those big wide ruled sheets of paper that you have when you learn to write. And she looked at that, and she picked up her her ever-ready ruler that was always right here and took it and slapped my wrist and said, your dad would have done better than that. Now, I'm 54 years old. That, that was probably 30 seconds of my third grade year. I just remember it like it was yesterday. I couldn't tell any other thing Ms. Kratzer taught for the whole third grade year. I don't remember anything else about her. Nothing. Edna, that was her first name. That even sounds mean, doesn't it? Edna. Hey. I'm sure she's a great teacher. She had to be to teach that long. I'm sure, but I don't remember anything. But and 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 you know, this stung a little bit. You know, it stung a little bit. But she says your dad would have done better than that. Now I haven't been in counseling all my life because of that or anything. And I don't wake up in the middle of the night. But I'm telling you. I'm 54 years old, and I assume till I lose my mind, I'll remember that, okay? There's power of life and death. Those were death words to me. I remember old Mr. McIntosh, my fifth-grade PE teacher. He opened the gym from 9 to 12 on Saturdays. And so you'd have uh, 15, 20 kids in the gym on Saturday, and, and, you know, and most of the guys were shooting half-court uh, hook shots and just kind of messing around, all this kind of stuff. And me, Mr. Me and Steve Petticord were on one basket over there, and we were really, as much as fifth graders can do, we were trying to work on our game, and we were trying to become better basketball players. And old Mr. McIntosh, he had, he had wore coaching. You remember those old coaching shorts? You, you, the last thing I'm taught, you pull way up here, you know. And, and old Mr. McIntosh came up to us, and I remember it was early in the morning, sleep in his eyes, and he goes, you two boys. They had bad breath. And he goes, you two boys are the reason I opened this gym in the morning. I'm 54 years old, and I remember a 30-second conversation of life-giving words. James is trying to tell us, you cannot underestimate the power of your tongue for good or for bad. power of life and death is in the tongue. Do we have Proverbs 10:19, Eric? Proverbs 10:19, I think, says, yeah, where words are many, sin is not absent. Where words are many, sin is not absent. 
many words promote sin. I told Levi, if he never ever talked, he'd never get himself in trouble. I mean, he just never, I don't think he hardly would. Because it's always something with his mouth. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But there is wisdom in holding your tongue. There's, there's unbelievable power for good or for bad in our tongue. You've heard, you've heard messages like this. You, you've heard me say this. If, you, if you're going to be here in September, you're going to hear me spend five weeks on this. Have you acted on it? Or are you like James when he got on people in James chapter 2 that they were just hearers of the word and they weren't doers? You ignore the power of words to your own detriment. I told you for three years, I did secular seminars, and the number one requested seminars by businesses was a communication seminar. Every seminar I taught, whether it was straight-up communications or, or motivation or leadership or dealing with difficult people, every single one, at the heart of it was communication. At the heart of it was communication. The power, the power of words. James, I just want to make sure you understand that. But James also wants to balance things, like James wants to balance faith and works. He, he, he wants to balance things, so he goes to 3.13 of James. Goes to 3.13 of James and says, Who is wise and understanding amongst you? I guess that was the teachers he was referring himself to in, in verse 1, saying you shouldn't want to be a teacher. Not too many of you should want to be a teacher. So, I guess, I guess anyone of us who teach think we have some wise things to say or he wouldn't get up here and teach, I guess. So who's, who of you thinks you're really wise and understanding? So wise and understanding that you want to get up and pontificate here for 30 minutes. Who of you thinks that you're really wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom oh the tongue has so much power you can't believe how much power the tongue has you neglect that to your detriment don't worry about the power of the tongue but some people can talk really really cool and not back anything up with their words some people have a silver tongue and can say all the right words so james says if you're really wise if you're really understanding if you're really a good teacher let it be shown by your good life Let it be shown by your good life with deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And James is, just, James is just balancing things out here. And I had an old preacher tell me one time the sanctified life, the set-apart life, the Christian mature life is always in the middle. It's always in the middle. It's not really out here on some fringe over here. It's not really over here on some fringe over here. You can go all kinds of different teaching, fringe teaching over here. That teach all kinds of stuff that's way off on the fringe, and people teach all kinds of stuff over here on the fringe. But the sanctified life, the mature life, is always right in the middle. And that's what James is trying to do faith and works. Power of the tongue, power of your deeds. You hold it together. You gotta hold it together. And so, you, you that use your tongue a lot, I've just, I've just spent five, eight verses here trying to tell you how powerful your tongue is. 
more than that, really. Now I'm going to remind you that you who are wise and understanding and think you ought to be teaching everything and think you have something semi-intelligent to say, let it be shown by your life with good deeds done from humility that comes from wisdom. Proverbs 29, 19. Proverbs 29, 19. A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Mere words. A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. An employee cannot be corrected by mere words of the employer. Though the employee understands, he will not respond. A son cannot be corrected by mere words from his mom or dad. Though the son understands, he will not respond. Because all of us know the proof is in the pudding. The proof is just not in what comes out of our mouth. The proof is in how we live our life. And so James is saying, oh, well, I'm just trying. It's so hard to tell you the power of your tongue. I'm just trying to get that into your head. Know that, but also know that if you're really wise, if you, if, if you really are a smart person, you'll, your life will match up with what you're saying. So in one hand, he's saying, talk the walk. Talk the walk. And then in verse 13 and following, he says, walk the talk. Talk the walk. Christians have new hearts. Christians talk different than other people. Christians don't talk like the world. Talk the walk. Christian life sometimes is called a walk. How's your walk? My walk with the Lord. Talk the walk, but you also got to walk the talk. And he says both of those things, and he keeps them together. The synergy of those two things together make a Bible-believing Christian. Now let's go back to about James 3, 5 maybe. James 3, 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. I wonder, if, I wonder if you could go a whole day without boasting. And somebody's saying, well, yeah, I could. I'm not sure. Because we boast in a whole lot of different ways. We boast when we try to defend ourselves. We boast when we try to make ourselves look good in front of other people. We boast when we try to make sure that other people know what they don't think I know. I'm boasting. And I wonder, I wonder if we go the whole day without boasting, trying to, trying to prove to you how much I know. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Another little small thing. You got a bit, you got a rudder, now you got a spark. A bit, a rudder, and a, and a spark. Next, verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. Wow. The power to destroy. And itself is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. Verse 7, Eric. Listen, now, you know that you can tame all kinds of animals. 
beasts of the field and birds and reptiles, all kinds of creatures they've been tamed by man. You, you know all about that. Everybody knows that. You can go see them do all kinds of tricks. and You, you, you can tame all kinds. Verse 8. But no man can tame a tongue. No man can tame a tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's bad news, friend. And some of you don't believe it. Some of you think you can go to a seminar or you can buy a book or you can just try harder than the next guy. And the, James, the half-brother of Jesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says no man can tame the tongue. And the obvious inference is there only God can do that. Verse 9. And he gives an example of why no man can tame the tongue. With it we go to church and we praise God. Show us your glory and show us your power. And we leave here and go on 35 and somebody cuts us off in traffic. He says the inconsistency of the tongue. You, you, you come in here and you sense God's spirit and you feel goosebumps and, and you resolve and you, and you, set a, you make a resolution and you resolve to, to control your tongue and, and before the night's over you've said something to your spouse in a way that you shouldn't have said it. The inconsistency of the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. And let me tell you why no man can tame the tongue, James says. Because when you come to church and you praise God, and you curse man, that curse doesn't mean cursing like cussing. It means you treat people the way you shouldn't treat them. Who've been made in God's likeness. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and my sisters, this should not be. See what James is trying to tell us, and he gets ready to tell us here in a second. This is a heart problem. You didn't just inherit your grandmother's tongue. You may have inherited your grandmother's tongue, and that might make it a little harder for you. But this is an issue of the heart. Because Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 45, he said, good things come out of the good stuff that's stored up in our bodies. And, and evil things, bad things come out of the bad stuff that is in our bodies. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For from the overflow, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, um, so, when I am short with Sue, that's a heart problem. And it should say, make me say, God, there has to be deeper work there. When I don't have enough patience with the boys and, and, I, and, and I say something that I shouldn't say, it's not just like, well, you know, you know me. You know, well, my grandfather didn't have any patience either. No. It's a moment that I wasn't filled with the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. 
Soon I bought one of those desks you have to put together, you know, solder or solder. Or I didn't think our marriage was going to make it through it, to be quite honest with you. And I'm a visual person, and I need to see something. And Sue was just trying to explain it to me, and you might as well be talking Greek to me. I've got to see it. And and when I said something to her that was too sharp or without patience, and she said something back to me that was too sharp or without patience, it's not a sign, well, it's just stressful to put one of those souter things together. No, it's a sign, God, there's more work that needs to go on here. Oh, I know I'm human. I know that, I, I know that I'll never be perfect, at least in a Western understanding of that. I, I know that, but God... Why did that come out, God? Oh, well, you know, Mamaw Collins, she was that way. No, 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 no. There's deeper work that needs to happen there. Now back to 310 or wherever we were, Eric, and let's finish up. Out of the same mouth comes both praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Now he tells us why out of the same mouth come both praise and cursing. And he agrees with his half-brother Jesus, who just says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because he says, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? If, 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 if it's, not, it's not the water that's coming out. It's, it's, it's what kind of spring that it is that really makes the difference. What's the next thing we have in 12? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produces produce fresh water. It's, it's, it's the root. If, 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 if down in the root it's a fig tree, it's not going to sprout olives. And James is saying, you know what, I remember what my brother, half-brother Jesus said. He talked about from the overflow of the heart, and I'm not just going to say it the same exact way he said it. I'm just going to say that if you've got a fig tree, you can't produce grapes because it's the root, not the fruit. That's the issue. And if I have a fruit problem... I don't have a fruit problem. I have a root problem. And so God just brought to my mind the abortion issue. I didn't plan to say this. didn't say it in the first issue. Abortion issue is not about abortion. It's about wanting what I want when I want it and having my cake and eat it too. And we can... We can tackle the symptom all we want, but that root is still going to be there. You can outlaw it all you want. Because when a fig tree is planted, it don't bear forth olives. If you've heard this message and you walk out of here today and you resolve that I'm going to talk better, You've totally missed the point. The issue is, just like you need to lay your wallet at the altar, just like you need to lay your spouse at the altar, just like you need to lay your kids at the altar, your career at the altar, your sex life at the altar, all parts of you have to be laid at the altar. Your tongue has to lay right there too. 
Would you be the Lord of my tongue? And the only way you can do that is to get deep down inside of you. It's not about taking a class, as good as those classes may be, because those classes will make you think of some things you probably never thought of before. But if you've got an issue in what you say and how you say it, it is a spiritual issue, and that's why we spend five weeks on it in September. You need heart work. And he's the great physician. He's the great physician. Don't go out here and say, well, I'm going to try to do better. No, 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 no. No man can tame the tongue. Well, I'm just, I, I, I resolve, I'm turning over a new leaf. No man can tame the tongue. And the inference is, God can do it. God can do it because from a good heart flows good things. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth. James tries to teach us about the power of the tongue but tries to balance that with the power of our life lived alongside there's one area of the tongue that exhibits its power as well and we'll close with this Romans 10 9 Romans 10, 9 reminds us of the power of the tongue and the power of our words. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You want to know the power of your words, the power of the tongue? It has something to do with your eternal destiny. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We've led 20 people to the Lord since Easter, and the first thing I always tell them is go leave this office and go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Why do we want to pe get people in the water? Why do we want to baptize people? Because they have to give public profession of their faith and have to, somebody has to read a testimony. Why have I brought all these people up here in front of you and had them give a testimony? Because it was with their mouth that they confess and are saved. And the Bible says, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you on that day. If you have any questions in your mind about the power of the tongue, this verse ought to help you because it has something to do with your eternal destiny. With your eternal destiny. If you will confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So our old friend James is uh, bringing it right down where the rubber meets the road, isn't he? Right down where the rubber meets the road. There's not a single person, and I stand first in this line, there's not a single person in this whole place, there's not application that the Holy Spirit is now making in your life if you have ears to hear.
It's not a single one of us because this is an area that touches us all. If you have ears to hear, there's not a single person that the Holy Spirit is not making applications to your life. And if he's not making applications to your life, that means you're dead spiritually. And you do not have ears to hear, and that's a very dangerous spiritual condition to be in. Are you sensitive enough to hear the Spirit? Let's pray. Now, Father, before we go any farther, I'd be a fool to think that everybody in here was a Christian. And so there is uh, one person, two people, five people, ten people that need to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you have raised him from the dead. And so for those two, five, ten, or more people that have never done, oh, they've come to church. Big deal. But they've never been saved. They've never repented and believed. They are not new creations in Christ, and they know who they are. I give them an opportunity right now to talk to you, Father, and to confess you as Lord, which means they have to repent of their own lordship, and then to believe. Father, I pray for Christians that have been brought face to face with the fact that they need more surgery on their heart. They've been brought face to face by your word today and by your spirit that their words are not gentle enough and kind enough and not filled with patience enough and their words are biting and their words are accusatory and their words are defensive. And they have ears to hear today, and they're open. They're open for deeper heart work. And so, Father, those people are going to talk to you right now. Father, I claim your word today when your word says that your word will not come back void but will accomplish the purpose that you intended for it. And I don't know really totally who and what and why that this passage in James 3 was preached about on this Sunday in July, but you had a purpose for it, and I claim your promise that that purpose will not come, the word will not come back void and that purpose will be accomplished. Help us as Zinia Nazarenes be hearers and listeners, but doers as well as James wants us to be. In Jesus' name.